You are listening to the Soar Above Cancer podcast, episode 135, part two, the balls of shit theory, our chat with Corinne, with your host, Gabrielle and Alex. Hello, fellow cancer thrivers. Welcome to this week's episode of the Soar Above Cancer podcast, a podcast dedicated to finding the strength to not only survive a cancer diagnosis, but thrive at living one's life with cancer. Last week, our, we began our chat with Corinne about this balls of shit theory. I hope you had the chance to listen to it. If you didn't, maybe go back and listen to this one before you start listening to this week's episode. Just for context, we are delving deeper into what it means to let go of these balls of shit and who can let go of these balls of shit. So definitely come back once you've listened to the first episode. For those who have listened to the first episode, let's jump right in. Now, I'm really interested, and we talked just before we started recording about an actual practical practical implication where Gabrielle and myself were involved, and this was at Yactivist Training last August, where, and feel free to explain it a, a lot more than myself, but you introduced literal balls of shit, and by literal, I mean, okay, fine, physical wooden spheres that we all got to keep and Gabrielle actually has hers with her right now, which is super cool. Which um, I should probably let go of. Yeah. <laughs> when we talk about it, maybe at some point, but for the, for the sake of the podcast, perfect. And, and what really sparked this idea to actually introduce something that you can physically see? Um, and was this the first time where, where you actually introduced maybe like a physical ball of shit in, into a room? Well, n- no. Um, so the the retreat adventure uh, mm-hmm. that we started to do in 2012 um, really kind of was a maybe the most concrete start of us. Like I've I've kind of built the program around transition and uh, letting go uh, in some ways is attached to it. So then we have like the rocks. So we have rocks. Um, that is the physical kind of image of things we want to let go. And then I'll speak of balls of shit and then people can like, to me, it's important. I'm totally always fine to express this metaphor to people. But after that, I really want people to make it and own it in a way that makes sense to them because otherwise I think it, then it means nothing. Um, but that's really kind of one of the first time, but as we were building the activist training and Danny really kind of build the, the whole training, um, thought of it she said oh maybe I could we could do something together and I'll I'll buy something that could be balls of shit and she had found those little wood thing uh so then we could physically actually do something like that because I do think that sometimes regardless of if it's a ball or if it's an object like we had I had people giving me like pieces of brown paper at retreats and saying it's a ball of shit and so the the object itself is not um necessary doesn't necessarily need to be a ball but i think there is something powerful to having something physical uh, that we can look at that, that we can write on and then that we can kind of leave behind or let go of yeah it's also a good reminder of the practice that it that letting go of your balls of shit entails because yeah. sometimes i think a reminder is good because we forget yeah, some people told me like years later that there's they still have a rock from the adventure that they know they need to let it go. They're just not ready. And when people, t- I'm like, oh, this is really cool. 
-hmm. not that, you know, not that there, but to me, again, to what you said, both of you, there is a symbolic and something that represents, and sometimes I'm like, well, fair enough. Like you can keep some things around for longer because we get very comfortable in our own shit. And I say this like, again, with no judgment, but when you've been living a certain way for a long time, even if it's not maybe your, the way to your, the road to your best self and happiest self, it's going to still become the most comfortable mm -hmm. space to be. And everything in our cells and our body and our brain is comfortable there. So it's going to kind of make it very easy for us to behave a certain way and to say certain things. And so ultimately, yeah, we can keep like, there's some balls of shit that I've kept around for a long time and some that I really literally let go of probably 10 times before feeling the difference in mm -hmm. my life. I really just like the concept of it doesn't have to be a certain shape and in quite, quite literally, I think when I think about it, it doesn't even have to be a physical object. I have, when, when I was in the hospital, there was one album by Drake that had come out like when I was just entering the hospital. And even today, when I listen to that album, there's times where, you know, you feel like the butterflies in your heart not necessarily good butterflies. Sometimes it's the negative thoughts you may have had. Sometimes it's the negative actions you may have taken. And so it's even just listening to that every once in a while, you think maybe that's my ball of shit. I have to try and listen to it with just peacefulness or maybe be mindful of, of what you went through. So I like that concept of, you know, it doesn't have to be a physical thing. Everyone has something that they can attach to just a matter of how you deal with it. Yes. You're absolutely right. Like it's a level of consciousness and awareness. And like for some people, it's a smell. Like I've heard so many survivors yeah. say, fog, the smell of the hospital still gets yeah. to me. When I kind of step into the elevator and it's like, yeah, that's part trauma. That's part kind of re, and then it's like, okay. So if it, if it actually doesn't stop you to, it's normal. Like there are smells mm -hmm. like, like I remember when my godmother not long after she passed, because I spent a lot of time with her at the end of her life, I would smell her perfume everywhere, mm -hmm. everywhere. Like, it's like everybody was wearing her perfume. No, nobody was. Mm -hmm. But I think she was so present in my mind, but it was okay. It would sometimes makes me feel sad, which was fine. But if it doesn't stop you from anything, it's okay. It's normal. Yeah. We have those triggers. But when it stops to paralyze you, you're right. It, it is a kind of symbolic ball of shit to say, mm -hmm. I think I might need to start reframing or switching or shifting some of the association I have with that music yeah. or with that smell or with that, you know, and it's a process, but um, you're right. It doesn't need to be physical object. Mm -hmm. Because we're talking to mostly young adults who are living with cancer thriving let's say how can we apply this theory at different points of throughout our experiences with cancer so at diagnosis during treatments post-treatments end of life like all these different periods in our experiences you know sometimes when i think of our community so so we often say at yak so first it takes longer to recover from cancer than to be treated for it mm -hmm. And as we know, some people are going to be in treatment forever. Uh, so that concept like is um, by itself is not something we hear a lot, but because of it. So when you think of 
most, not all, everybody's kind of had their individual experience, but all, ultimately a lot of people will say when they get the diagnosis and what follows, there is a big chunk of time where it's survival mode. Yeah. And I think most times and most often, it is not when you're in that mode that you actually get the contemplative sitting around and looking at your emotions and you kind of go and truck along and do your thing and do everything you can. Uh, and it's pretty intense physically and mentally. And then when that starts to slow down uh, and the appointments gets less often and the treatment ends and then often that is where I think a lot of stuff kind of surfaces back up or you start to feel all kinds of things. And to me, there's a reason for it. It's just that, you know, for a while you had to survive. You had to focus on as much as you could, staying alive and taking everything that was thrown at you. Once that is somewhat for a while under control, uh, then that's when it comes. So to me, there are moments and phases where it, you might not at all even think or want to address. Like, I think there are times in our lives where it's like, oh, geez, we need to be kind. It's not always the right time to dig in and solve everything. Uh, the, this is not the goal. To some of one of you said earlier, it's okay to feel things. It's okay to have moments where it is rubbing against the wall. Like you feel like you're walking in a corridor that is way too small and it's quite uncomfortable. And that is normal. Okay. Expected all of it. But as you look into the, the kind of cancer trajectory and for the community members within YAG that do find us and do choose to connect, uh, I think there is a lot of benefit because then it can allow to first share your story. So then all of a sudden you realize that you're not that weird. You're not abnormal. You're having emotions that a lot of people had, and that can gently allow you to examine, look into, okay, what am I stuck with? Because I think the, the further along you can get, uh, you can either accumulate shit or transition as best as you can while saying okay i'm looking back there was a lot of trauma there was a lot of fear what do i do what can i do with that what kind of help can i get to process that like it's not all about sitting home alone flushing shit around like it's not that simple but ultimately there are phases where when you start i think when you start either having less of an intense demand on the medical side of things uh, to know that it's normal to have a whole lot of things coming up and it's okay to look for help, for support, for what's going to work for you and to examine that. And then for some people, I've, you know, as we know, some people in our community are living with cancer, are actually getting closer to the end of their lives. And those people, I think as well are like, for some of them, I'm like, oh, geez, it's beautiful because they are, figuring out ways to make peace and talk about letting go. I think there's a lot of things that all of a sudden they're like, no way I'm bringing this forward with me. Uh, so I think they are also in their own way uh, doing that work on a day-to-day -day basis. But I think we need to um, allow when there is a time of trauma and a time of, time of urgency and intensity where the body is like, Wah! we need to let 
us do what we need to do. And then, you know, there's the time for, for everything. So I remember one therapist telling me, because I think I was dwelling on the fact that why didn't I do anything about this earlier? She kind of just looked at me and she said, well, you're here now, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And for her, there was no better time than right now to address it because that was the time I made my way to talk about it now. So there was no way. And I, I kind of looked at her and I was like, geez, like simple. But it really kind of hit me of like, well, I guess so. Because yeah. what would be the points I would say to any people in our community, there's no point in, in saying, why didn't I do this or why or should whenever you're ready to address something, whenever you choose, that's why I think people come to retreat at the perfect time for them. There's no, I missed it. I should have gone. I, ah, we need to trust sometimes that Mm -hmm. things line up in the right way for us uh, because Mm -hmm. otherwise we're going to live in regret all the time. No kidding. 100%. And one group that follows us along as cancer thrivers throughout our journey that we haven't discussed yet really is the caregivers. And they carry a whole lot of balls of shit with them too. And, you know, we often say as cancer survivors ourselves, you know, no one really understands this. I don't, I think there's a lot to be said about the caregivers as well, who maybe don't get as much love when it comes to the whole grand scheme of things. How does this theory really apply to them and how can they use it in their lives when they are with their loved ones? Yeah, so true. You guys have wicked questions and stuff. Um, Yeah, so caregivers are supporters, as we call them at Yak. I feel like sometimes they have their own pockets and then they have a backpack with the balls of shit of the person they're supporting because they want to carry their load. Uh, Because sometimes I think it's kind of the the only way they don't feel helpless or uh, they don't feel hopeless. So it's like, give me your shit. I'll carry it for you. Uh, but you know, as you guys would say, it doesn't work that way. It would be lovely if we could take away suffering of people we love, uh, that would be a superpower. Uh, but I'm not sure it would serve the world that well, because then all of a sudden it becomes your own stuff. So for our beautiful supporters, I think, um, for in general, cancer or not, I think, they do um, forget about their own needs a lot. It's hard, so I see it sometimes when I talk to them at sessions or even seeing how they interact uh, on, in their own Facebook space. I think they don't have the natural reflex to ask for help because they are a helper. Uh, so I do think that they walk around carrying a lot of stuff and sometimes probably things that they feel bad carrying because I'm sure that over time you have all kinds of feelings and emotion as you're supporting someone, one being love and care and anger and very common emotions that you guys would, would feel as Mm. going through cancer. But there's also a bunch of other stuff, I'm sure resentment or guilt or for not being sick. And you know, there are all kinds of conflicting and complicated emotions that I think they do carry around. And one thing I wonder is with our caregiver and supporters community, um, letting go of that, what does that mean to them? Would it mean that, you know, to me, it's like, it's okay to be happy and to work on being happy and light and content 
even when you are supporting someone who is not right now, who is sick, who is suffering, but there is a bit of a disconnect for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think it's like when you love someone deeply and they're really suffering, you feel like shit being happy yourself. You feel like I should not have an amazing day because I know that my wife, my sister, my friend, my brother is going through hell at the hospital. I understand uh, for having felt exactly this way in different contexts, but ultimately I'm like, ah, oh, I would want for everybody individually to work on how they can feel as good as possible on a daily basis, because mm -hmm. then you are so differently available to the people you love, but it is mm -hmm. hard to do. So I feel like our, our supporters um, have a, a heavy load at times. Yeah. Um, and so that's why we try and be there for them. Yeah. 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 They're important people to, to in this equation, I guess. And another key actor in the lives of young adults living with cancer is the healthcare professionals. And I'm always surprised when I see a healthcare professional hear this, this theory for the first time. Some of them have, well, they all have different reactions to it um, because it's not necessarily words that would be used in a more professional setting. So I'm interested to know how you would apply this to a healthcare professional. Well, so it's funny because I, um, not right now, obviously, but I did uh, quite a few times, uh, had the opportunity to go to hospitals and uh, speak of Yak with Jeff or just by myself and to help professionals. So sometimes it was a mix of nurses, nurse navigators, social mm -hmm. workers, and um, there was always a slide on my presentation that was about them and kind of like talking to them about their grief or talking to them about their, uh, their struggles as a human person first, and then yes, a health professional. And it always touched me so deeply because almost every time someone was crying mm -hmm. in the room and uh, getting a bit choked up because they are not asked uh, what kind of, so I wouldn't necessarily like, sometimes I'll give the balls of shit uh, example and they'll have a good laugh because it's like, oh God, thank God someone said fuck in the meeting room and someone said shit. Uh, but other times, depending on the crowd, you know, you kind of feel your, your crowd. Uh, I will just kind of spend some time addressing them their hearts and you know the kind of uh disenfranchised grief and all those things yeah. we hear in in the healthcare system i think our healthcare provider are often working at a pace uh that is a bit crazy i worked eight years in a hospital and so i remember how it feels and i'm so grateful because some people love it uh some people do it even though sometimes they don't love it uh, but ultimately, there's not a lot of stop and pausing and saying, how are you? Because they lose patients and they get attached to patients that move on and they have horrible, shitty days as well. And they feel some days like they did not do well with someone and it affects them. Uh, but it's rarely, very still today, very rarely addressed. Mm -hmm. So I try when I get the chance to talk to them, to talk about it with them, or even just to 
put it on the table that it's there, it exists. Yeah. They're human. That's super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this a lot today and we've very been very comprehensive of the theory, but if you had to summarize this theory in 60 seconds, one minute, what would be the power statement for the balls of shit theory? Fuck, 60 seconds. I'm not good at 60 seconds. Um, I guess, I guess it's just really the balls of shit theory and letting go of it, uh, of our balls of shit is really to me about everybody is allowed to walk feeling lighter. Um, and that is going to change depending on what's going, you're going through in your life. And some days something is going to feel light to you, would feel heavy to someone else. We don't care about that. But to me, I would want all of us to know that this is possible, regardless of what we're going through, to feel just lighter mm-hmm. uh, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, yes. I like that. Thank I you. Like that. Is there anything else that you would like to add about uh, what we've been chatting about or anything at all? I, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was sweet and funny a bit to get to spend time talking about it, but I'm yeah. grateful. I think it's uh, it's really neat that we're um, maybe making this a bit more concrete than uh, what's existing inside of my head. So thank you. For the- <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. I'm very yeah, grateful for, for the chance to talk to you about this. 100%. Since Last week, we've been talking about the balls of shit theory with Corinne, and we are very happy that we had the chance to delve more into this theory that has been so popular within the Young Adult Cancer Canada community, and really hearing what it means to live and really integrate this theory into your own life, to let go of things that you no longer need and really feel a little lighter. So I'm really happy that we had the chance to chat with Corinne and I'm very grateful to her for having taken the time to chat with us. This does end episode 135, part two, the balls of shit theory, our chat with Corinne. Thank you for sticking around with us every single week, but definitely over the past two weeks to learn more about what this theory is all about. Before you go, just a quick reminder, if you have any questions or suggestions or comments, or if you simply want to share your story, please do reach out to us. Everything, all the information is in the show notes. As always, many smiles to you and see you next week. 